born again. So, so that's, that's, where, that's where we're going. Okay, y'all, uh, Luke chapter 19, if you've got it in your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If not, you have this uh, worship guide uh, in front of you, and the worship guide will have it printed. It should be Luke chapter 19, and, um, and we're going to just read 10 verses today. All right, we ready? <clears throat> money, money, money. That's a little good. All right, so this is back in the old 80s. There's just this, this synth track that goes, money, money, money. A little something like that, right? And so today and next week, we're going to be talking about money. That's right. So this week we'll be talking very personally as middle schoolers, high schoolers, moms, dads, families, college students. We're going to talk very, very personally about money next week we're actually going to just pause take a step back from our individual like responsibility and actually talk corporately what we're to do as a church body and how we are to engage okay thank you will all right so up here woo all right we're gonna be talking about money so both personally and then also corporately we're gonna be talking about money now, here's what I know about these types of topics. Um, that when a guy like me, right, stands on a stage and talks about said subject, right, there's all kinds of, like, jitters that happen, right? And there may even be some kind of cringe-worthy reactions going on in your heart. And I've identified three responses that might be a little cringe-worthy. One are the people who are giving so much of their resources away. These are people that are dutifully and just, just extravagantly giving of their life and giving of their resources over and over and over. And so when they hear a guy like me have a talk like this, um, they get a little cringed because they're like, man, another talk on money. Because all it feels like that people are wanting me for, the conversations lately, is just about what I have and how they are to give. And so some of you in here I'm going to call oversaturated. Where it's just over and over and over, ask, ask, ask. Or another talk like this, you can kind of just shut it down. Uh, there's a second group of people in here that might be cringing right now, knowing that there's going to be a talk on money. There are the people that may be on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe not oversaturated, but maybe under-resourcing the kingdom of God. And so you look at a, or hear a talk like this. And you look back at your giving, right? And you look at the last quarter or the last year of your life and you're like, well, it's probably not where it should be. And so you're cringing a little bit because you're like, wow, where's this thing going to go? And so there may be a feeling of instead of just oversaturation, maybe you're feeling a little bit guilty, maybe even a little bit shamed right now. But then there's a third group of people that have sat under talks like this and actually made commitments at the end of, there's not going to be a commitment, by the way, uh, make a commitment at the end of a talk or something, and you've seen actually abuse of money, especially religious money. So you've cut a really big check, and you've given sacrificially, only to know that that dude or that organization bought a jet or something, right? And you're like, what? I, what? It just doesn't compute. And maybe you've just been burnt because you've given before and you've seen a mistrust. Or maybe there was some kind of a fraud or some kind of scandal that happened underneath. And you've been burnt and you're like, no mas, I'm done with this. But if you're, so if you're oversaturated, 
Maybe if you're maybe a little bit shamed or maybe you're just burnt. I'm going to ask you to kind of just give me 30 minutes. Actually, give the scriptures 30 minutes to maybe marinate in your heart just a little bit. Because I can't fix wherever you are and where, where you think of giving. That's really not even my job. But we really do believe that the Spirit of God, and we believe that the Word of God really can open up our hearts and open up our lives so that we can be the givers that God wants us to be. And so if you're white-knuckling this thing, right? If you're already like, let me get out of here, and you're nudging your wife, but let's go. If you're white-knuckling this thing, just give it 30 minutes. Ask the Holy Spirit to continue to open up so because we want to, be, we want to leave like this, right? Not like this, holding on for dear life, but just like this. And that's the posture that we want to happen. Because we believe, I believe, we believe that the, what the New Testament tells us is there is a direct correlation between your wallet and your worship. I'll say it again. We believe that there is a direct correlation between your wallet and your worship. And what the New Testament tells of you and I is that we need to be worshipers. And so if we believe that there really is a connection here, and we, what we want are more and more worshipers and more and more worship, then we have to broach the subject. And it would be a disservice of me. And I would almost be negligent not to teach the word and what it has to do with us. It was important to God that he would give this subject. It was important to Jesus that he would give us this subject. Here's some staggering numbers. You ready for numbers? Speaking of a, num a money talk, 2,350 verses in the Bible have to do with money. That's a lot of verses. 2,350 verses, distinct verses, have to do with money. Jesus talked about money, finances, resources, those types of things. He had this at the tip of his tongue more than he talked about prayer. He talked about resources and money and giving more than he talked about faith, more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about hell. It was obviously very, very important. There is a correlation between your wallet and your worship. We would be negligent not to teach these types of things because it really, really is important to us. We have a vision for your life, right? And it's much larger maybe than you even have a vision for your life yourself, but we have a vision for you. After reading the New Testament, after reading the mandates of what Jesus would ask of us, we have a vision for you. And the vision is for you and I, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, grad students, newlyweds, married people, moms, dads, families, grandpas, you know, grandmas, retired people, semi-retired, almost dead. We got the vision. I mean, for everybody, the vision is for you and I to become or actually to be extravagant givers. That's the phrase that you're going to hear over and over to be an extravagant giver with every single piece of your material possession. That's a big, big ask. For, for all of your material possessions, for you to be a, 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 an extravagant giver. God has given you certain things, and they're unique to you. We're asking you to do this with them rather than this with them. There's got to be some kind of connection. Wallets, wardrobes, homes, automobiles, 
the things that God has given to you, are you able to use Kyler and Jeremiah's uh, verbiage? Are you able to leverage these things for the gospel? Wallets, wardrobes, everything in between. For instance, here's just a simple example. You have a nightstand by, the, by your bed, right? It is literally a two-by-two two piece of furniture. Right now, I guarantee, not guarantee, right now there is a cell phone plug-in and then there's a, probably a remote control and a lamp or something like that, right? These are the types of things. So how are you able to leverage that nightstand for the kingdom of God? I don't know. It's for you to find out, right? But God gave you a nightstand. And what is there a way? Is there a way that we're able to do something with every piece of material good to leverage it, to move it toward kingdom's sake, rather than it just being a, a piece of furniture or just being a dollar amount in your, in your bank account? That's the type of vision that we have for you is for you to do that. Because what we want for you Right? What we want for you, not from you. Right? This is not about cutting checks. What we want for you is a life of faith. When you leverage material goods, when you leverage money, when you give back to the Lord, you walk by faith, not by sight. That's what we want for you. Not your money, but for you to live a life of, 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 of faith. What about purpose? To leverage a nightstand for the kingdom. I mean, that's living your life on purpose. That's what we want for you. But more than anything, it's for you to be a worshiper of King Jesus with every single morsel of your being. What you and I have done is we've defined worship on Sunday mornings from 10 to 1130. That's just an hour and a half moment in time. This is not what worship is. Worship is an, worship is an expression of our life. What's going to happen the other 167 hours of your week? You're only here an hour. So what are you going to do with that? We guarantee that you're going to spend more money than you will hours sitting here in this time and place. And if we're going to be worshipers of King Jesus, that includes our material possessions. So the vision is, what would it look like to leverage, to be an extravagant giver? And so we've picked this small little text, Luke chapter 19, about a wee little fella named Zacchaeus. And we wanted to engage this text very personally to know what you and I, moms and dads, couples, what we can do about turning, turning from selfishness into becoming an extravagant giver. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and following says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, and he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass this, uh, that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up into the tree. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So what did Zacchaeus do? So he hurried and came down and reached and, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, presumably at the dinner party, inside the house, and Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, not to the guests, not to anybody else, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four 
fold. And Jesus said to him, today, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. And so today uh, we're going to talk about Luke chapter 19 and this wee little man named Zacchaeus. But just before we jump into the the message, you first have to understand the context. What we are looking at really, really closely, I mean, still in um, verse 19, or chapter 19, we see that Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. We actually see Jesus clearing the temple. We are embarking on what is called Passion Week. We're about to be at Easter. This is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is about to die on a cross for our sins. And what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about money. I don't know about you, but that's a little bizarre to me. If you flip back to uh, chapter 18, you see that Jesus is talking with the rich young ruler. You flip to uh, chapter 19, he's talking to Zacchaeus. Then there's the parable of the ten minas. Then we look at Jesus cleansing the temple, having to do with money and robbers of God's time and resources. Then you turn over and you see paying taxes to Caesar. And then the widow's might. Here Jesus is descending upon Jerusalem for his very death. And what is at the tip of his tongue but money. We have to understand that before we get into this text. Money matters to Jesus. Money should matter to us. Today's going to be very principle-based, all right? We're just going to kind of give you five principles on how to be an extravagant giver. Hopefully that'll just be helpful to you in the week to come in your prayer time. That way you can just go one, two, three, four, five. I only got two or remember three of them. Just write them down and, and hopefully there'll be some, some um, uh, teaching on that. So principle number one actually comes from verse, uh, verse one and two. Let's read it again. So he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. All right, so principle number one is before you could be an extravagant giver, you need to understand that when we see Zacchaeus, or to put it personally, when you see Zacchaeus, you need to see yourself, okay? This is not just a picture of some guy climbing a tree. When you see Zacchaeus, when you read Zacchaeus, you need to read about yourself, and here's why. Because of verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. We're hinging this principle on rich and tax collector. When you see Zacchaeus, you need to see yourself because our status and our identity often comes down to what we do and what we do and how much is leveraged because of what we do. Oftentimes, our identity is wrapped up in what we do. We're a tax collector. We're a teacher. We are, and you just fill in the blank, whatever you do. But your identity is wrapped up in what you do, and then what you do is actually leveraging something that will actually look good upon you. And so it's not just what you do, but it's your status. And he was rich. There was one thing that tax collectors were able to do. They deal with money. And money you're able to skim off the top. Zacchaeus had a name, but he was wrapped up in his identity, being a, a, a tax collector and being rich. What he was able to do for a living was he was going to go to poor souls like you and I. 
on behalf of Rome and exact money, exact taxes from you and I. He lived high on the hog while they lived an impoverished life. People hated people. People hated Zacchaeus and people like him because they lived in the poorhouse and he was living high on the hog. And so the question for you and I is, especially when it comes to identity and when it comes to status, what is our definition of status? What's our definition of success? Because here is Zacchaeus, who was willing to be hated, willing to be despised, willing to walk into all kinds of tense moments. But why? Why was he willing to be called a sinner? I mean, that's, the, that's the, another adjective. He's just a sinner. Why was he willing to be an, an, an outcast? Well, there was only one answer to that. Money. What he did allowed him to be very, very rich. Maybe your job doesn't allow you to be very rich, but maybe it makes you some kind of status or some kind of somebody. Before you can move on and kind of start pointing fingers at Zacchaeus, we need to start pointing fingers at ourselves. Maybe, too, our identity is wrapped up in what we do and our status. We can't be an extravagant giver if our identity, if our status is all about us. All right, so principle number one, when we see Zacchaeus, we see, we see ourselves. All right, let's keep going. Verse three and four, because we got five of them. Verse three says, and when he was seeking uh, to see who, uh, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. All right, so this is where everybody in, in uh, Sunday school is singing the wee little man and the wee little man was he, right? Climbed up in a sycamore tree and sycamore, all right, you're, you're starting to see that and you're starting to smirk. That means y'all been in Sunday school. That's good, y'all good little boys and girls. I don't remember the song, so that's why I'm not gonna sing it. I've already sung once, so I'm not gonna do it again. But anyway, y'all can sing it to your kids for a bedtime story. But this is verse three and four. Principle number two is that to be an extravagant giver, you oftentimes look foolish. I know it's silly, right? It is silly. But here we have to look at Zacchaeus for Zacchaeus' sake, and that he is desperate to see Jesus. And here's a grown man, probably in a silk suit, right? Amazing tie, right? Just coming from the dry cleaners. He just walked out of the limo. He's got servants. He's got butlers. I mean, you just think about rich upon rich. He's got cufflinks. I mean, you don't want me to keep going. He's starching his shirt. I mean, like this is who he is. He's rich. And this man, because he's desperate to see Jesus, because he's an extravagant kind of guy, he's about to be transformed. He runs, right? You don't do that in a suit. He runs and he climbs a tree, all right? Even though this is not a direct correlation to the giving moment that we're about to see, we still need to see it for what it is, that Zacchaeus is acting silly. He's acting foolish. Everybody's eyebrows is, are raising just a little bit because of this man's actions. I wonder if you and I have really thought about just the, almost the foolishness of being an extravagant giver because there's gonna be friends and there's going to be family, and there's going to be spouses, and they're going to call you a fool. 
But when we rotate and when we pivot and when we give our lives to Jesus and we set our, we want to see him, oftentimes he has us up in a sycamore tree for almost no apparent reason whatsoever. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus is splitting us off from the crowd and he's trying to talk to us individually because we are desperate to see Jesus. Not to be a mystic here, but Jesus wants to see us or he wants us to be seeing him and to long for him. And oftentimes what he is going to ask you to do with your material possessions or your wallet may seem foolish to those around you. Principle number three, verse five. And so Jesus was entering Jericho. Behold, there was a man, tax collector. He was rich. He wanted to see Jesus so bad that he ran ahead of the crowd. He went up, went up a tree, a sycamore tree, um, because Jesus was about to pass that way. Verse five. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hard comma. Zacchaeus, hard comma. Before you can be an extravagant giver, you have to be called by Jesus. There's no other way to be an extravagant giver for the kingdom's sake unless you have been called by Jesus very personally. There's ways that you could be a great philanthropist, right? You can give lots of money. There's lots of people giving lots of money away. But you ask them why, and it's likely not for Jesus' sake or the kingdom's sake. Maybe it's just for humanitarian aid or maybe to make a, a great name for themselves because they now have control over the money they give. But to be an extravagant giver inside the kingdom for, for, for Jesus' namesake, you must be called by Jesus. And he has to call your name. To be an extravagant giver never starts with obedience. Never. Now, you can start giving out of obedience. But to give your whole life away, to follow Jesus, has to start with a call of God on your life. Has to call where you have personally been touched by Jesus. And so maybe just maybe, the reason you are not trusting Jesus with your resources is because you have never trusted Jesus, period. That's between you and the Lord. That's not something that's scary, but maybe just maybe the reason that you're, re you're so, I mean, white knuckled and you're holding on so tight is because you've just never trusted Jesus. Remember, Zacchaeus is called out of, of a very religious crowd. Zacchaeus is the least religious person. If people know about giving money, it's the religious people, not, not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is like take and grab and hold and keep, right? But Zacchaeus got called out that day. This is not just about obedient giving. This is about following Jesus with your entire life. Not just with wallets, but wardrobes and everything in between. To not just to start with obedience, but to live our life because we have been called by the Lord. Remember in Mark, the early chapters of Mark, we, we, we met another tax collector. His name was Matthew or, or Levi. 
And Jesus does the same thing. He comes to Levi, a tax collector, and he says, Levi, um, come, follow me. And Levi takes him to his house. Do you remember the story? Jesus, approaching a, a, a tax collector, calls him by name, says, hey, come follow me. And Levi takes him to his house. But what happens when Jesus is eating with Levi, people start to grumble, right? And so as they're grumbling, Jesus makes this unbelievable statement that, those, um, uh, that Jesus has come, not for the people who are well, but the people who are sick. But the people who need a physician are not the people who are, are fine and well, but the people who need a doctor are the people that are actually sick. The story of Zacchaeus is almost an exact parallel of this story. And what we see at the end of this chapter is Jesus saying, I have come to seek and to save the lost. This is Jesus' job description. This is what he has always done. He's come after you and I very personally. This is not about your wallet. It really is about you following Jesus wholeheartedly because he has called you out of the crowd and called you by name. The same way that he called Levi, Levi, come follow me. The same way that he looks up into a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down, is the same way that he has called out you and I by name. We feel called out and out of a heart of gratitude, that's where the giving takes place. Not out of obedience, but out of a heart of gratitude. That's why Zacchaeus comes down and embraces him, receives him joyfully. Because it's now turning less into obedience and more into worship. This is what it means, is that we are called out by God. All right, principle number four. Verse eight. Principle number four. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled and they had gone into uh, the guest, uh, to be the guest of a man of a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said uh, to the Lord. And he's looking just squared. In the same way that Jesus squares his eyes on Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is now squaring his eyes back to Jesus. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. All right, so the principle number four comes out of this verse eight. And I need for you to brace for this one. If you've been around church for a very long time, right, this one is going to be crazy. It's going to be a lot more than 10%. Principle number four is that it's going to be, whatever it is, extravagant living or extravagant life, it's going to be a lot more than 10%. Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and immediately it all opens up. This is a pretty strong teaching by John Piper. He says this, the question that Jesus drives us to ask again and again throughout the New Testament is not how much should I give, but rather how much do I dare to keep? One of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that there is a great commission. By and large, the Old Testament people of God, they were not a missionary people. 
But the New Testament church is fundamentally made up of missionary people. A spiritual hope and the physical and emotional sustenance that Jesus has brought to this very earth is to be extended to his church all around the world. The task he gave us is so immense and requires such an investment of commitment of money that the thought of settling the issue of what we give by a fixed percentage, like 10%, is simply out of the question. Here's the strong kind of teaching by John Piper to us. My conviction is that most middle and upper class Americans who are, who are merely giving 10% are robbing God. That's strong. That's really, really strong. The New Testament rarely talks about percentage, if not ever. It's more radical than that. He who has two coats, let him share with one who has none. If he has food, let him do likewise. That's 50%, not 10. Zacchaeus stood and said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Again, another 50%. Jesus says to the rich young man, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The expectation, 100%. So therefore, whoever whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, 100%. This is not about tithing. This is not about 10%. This is this. Where none of your material possessions belong to you. Because you realize that they were first given to you by God above. That he is the giver of good things. Now you shouldn't be ashamed at this moment right? There's this ability to feel shame under a quote like this. You shouldn't feel shame for the type of possessions that you have acquired right now. I don't know what today is, 17th, 18th, something like that, give or take. However, as of November 17th, 18th, what, what is today? 18th, thank you. As of November 18th, 2018, there can be a difference. And the difference is, it's not mine, It's to be stewarded. It's not mine. It was first God's. And so for you to just start the process like this, to open up entire life like that. And so what we really, a vision for our, all of our lives as individuals is for us to become extravagant givers. And the reason we do so, the reason we do so is because we know that there's far more possible with our gifts when it's out there than it is when we possess it. When we open up our hands, when we open up our lives, when we open up our living rooms, when we lend our cars and when we write checks, that people are affected and that it is an exponential blessing to the entire world. Grace upon grace is able just to exude out there This is not a story about how Zacchaeus was only about how Zacchaeus was affected by Jesus, but the fact that Zacchaeus became a missionary. I'm going to give 50% to the poor. 
Guess who's blessed? Zacchaeus? Yes, his heart has changed, but guess who's blessed? The poor, right? And guess what the poor do? They receive a blessing, and guess what? They smile. And guess who they credit? Zacchaeus? No, because Zacchaeus is saying, and on behalf of King Jesus, I give you this gift. And so more and more and more people are blessing King Jesus because of this gift. Who else is blessing God at the end of this day? The people that were done wrong, the people that were frauded by Zacchaeus himself. And he comes back and he kneels down and he says, I'm sorry, you, you, I owe you this. But I only gave you a nickel, I know, but here's 20, 20. Fourfold I'm going to give you back. And guess what? They're going to go back to their dinner, t- dinner table and they will say, you will never believe the conversation I had with Zacchaeus. He's robbed our family his entire life. You will not believe it. And so it's just extrapolated and it just continues to grow. And that's what a life of sacrifice is supposed to do. A seed is no good in and of itself. It has to be buried. And once it's buried, it goes down into the ground and it grows and it takes root and then it sprouts. And when it sprouts, it has a head of grain and the grain is able to be plucked. And the pluck means it turns into a piece of bread and the piece of bread is able to nourish the people around us. These are the seeds of sacrifice that need to be planted in our hearts. It's not about the numbers of zeros of the checks. It's about your life. This is what God has called us to do. Why? Because he's come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come for you and me. The last principle of extravagant giving is that it's not in a vacuum. It doesn't happen under your own willpower, under your own strength. Zacchaeus had no moral reputation. He had no religious credibility. And yet Jesus walks into his life to seek and to save him. The extravagant giver in this equation is not you. It's King Jesus. Because how did Jesus seek and how did Jesus save the lost? He gave his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The extravagant giver and this equation is not in this room. It's not, in a, it's not possessing a black chair. It's not sitting. It's King Jesus who is reigning and ruling over all things, who did not spare anything but gave his entire life for us. That's how we can open up, by looking to him and his example. Jesus, who was rich, who dwelled in heaven, became poor so that the poor, that's you and me, can be rich. Zacchaeus was richer than rich monetarily. What Jesus is able to offer us is that we too can be richer than rich, meaning richer than anything this world can possess. Ephesians 1 goes like this.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed, rich, rich. This is who we are. Who has blessed us, who's made us rich in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, not ours, his will, to the praise of his glorious praise. I'm sorry, to his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what we are rich in, the grace of Jesus himself which he has lavished upon us. I mean, a dump truck full of grace has been dumped into our life, into our heart, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, uh, to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite us in all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. We are rich, having been predestined according to the purpose of him whose works, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of your inheritance until the um, that you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is an extension of Jesus' wealth, is that he gave you everything. He's made you richer than rich. You can't take anything when you're gone. You really can't. And so what can we do here and now? What God has asked us to do is to be an extravagant giver. in light of the extravagant giver, the one who saved our life. Let's pray. Jesus, we're about to embark on a table where we actually see the price of the good gift. But Jesus, before we kind of enter into that moment, I know that um, it took a little time for Zacchaeus to move from a spectator to a participant. And I don't want to rush it, Lord. I don't know how this message has hit middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students and grad students, singles, married folk. But I know that it's going to take a little time to move us along, to have our hearts to begin to melt toward you. And so this is kind of your sycamore tree, this moment where you just need to scurry up and just put your eyes on Jesus. Before he's asking you to give, he's asking you to seek him. Is he seeking you this morning? Spend a little time with your creator. Jesus, you gave us your very life. 
and help us to realize that you are asking us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. You are welcoming us into a family, a community, a body. You're allowing us to be a part of something that you started. Allow us to approach this table with great gratitude. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so Jesus, the the greatest gift given is that Jesus did not even spare his own life to give us life. And he gave us the, the greatest gift that anyone has ever possessed, which is forgiveness from our sins. So this table is meant for sinners. It's meant for people who have been white knuckled. This table is for Zacchaeus, who has wronged all kinds of folks. This is a meal, not for the perfect, but to worship the perfect one. And so if you approach this table, just know that Jesus speaks your names over you, that he forgives you fully and completely. And he's asking you to look, have your life look more like this than any other definition that you could create. So go ahead and stand. Just know that these stations are open. We have men in all four um, corners, and I'll be up front. Uh, so take any time you need um, to, to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning.